Rightio. Well, we're looking at this passage from John, so please keep it open there. Shall we pray before we launch into it? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we're actually really thankful that this particular story is there for us in your word to us in the scriptures. And uh, we pray that as we look at it now, you'll uh, help us to see what it shows us about who you are and who your son is and uh, what, he, what he came for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So new beginnings is what I wanted to uh, start talking about and we've called it new beginnings and we're talking about new beginnings, which is church plant. Um, but you know, new beginnings, it's only a few weeks ago that we had the beginning of the year, New Year's Day. Um, February, of course, is where things really start to kind of ramp up again, back into the, uh, the pattern of, of life and so on. Did anyone have, we've talked about this already, New Year's resolutions back then, in those early days in the year when we're all thinking, you know, no, hey, you're shaking your head. Too realistic we are. Um, got to start, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, New Year. Um, some of us still feel like we're restarting after, um, you know, the whole COVID thing. You know, trying to get back in the normal rhythms of life. Uh, maybe some new rhythms, you know, having had a chance to think about things during COVID. Uh, life is full of new beginnings. Think about it. New birth. A birth of a new child. Think about first day of school. Um, last day of school. Uh, leaving home or starting a new job or um, getting married yeah that's a new beginning um, uh, moving house new location there's so many new life is full of new beginnings they all present us with new challenges but also new kind of opportunities and uh, you know new new a way to start afresh with that kind of idea in mind, let me invite you now to reflect on the kind of Christianity that you're living. Does that make sense? Reflect on the kind of Christianity that you're living. Specifically, what, what you might do is put yourself in the shoes of someone who isn't a Christian looking at your life. Would it make you, if you're that person looking on at your life, would it make you want to explore Jesus further as you look on? Uh, we say that Jesus makes everything new, don't we? He, he, he washes us clean. He gives us that opportunity for a real fresh start, a new beginning, right? With hope and meaning and purpose and joy. That's what he's done for us. That's what we say. So the question really is, is that what your friends see when they look on, you know, at your life and at my life? Is that what they see? Or is it more like this? We've got a picture. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So does your faith invade and pervade your life? in ways that transform who you are and how you behave at work and at home and in your relationships with friends, when you're with your friends, 
right? And when it does show itself, does it look different in compelling ways? Or, or does it just look a little bit inconvenient and constraining, you know, when people notice your faith? You know, don't, now, don't get me wrong here. The Christian life, it's not always roses, is it? I mean, we've, it's been quite sobering this morning to be reminded of some of the significant health challenges that some amongst us are facing, right? And, you know, apart from that, we, so we're living in this world, right? But we're also following the one who went where, ultimately? He went to the cross, didn't he? So it's not always going to be roses following Jesus. It's always going to be nice, not always going to be easy or pleasant or whatever. And the Bible makes that very clear. But who'd want to, who'd want to explore a Christianity that is, that is no more than that thing that only enters our heads and makes us feel guilty when we're on the verge of doing something that we want to do but know we shouldn't? Right? Or who, who, who would want to sign up for something that really is no more than a commitment to attend a meeting on a Sunday morning when most other people really, they'd rather just catch up on some sleep or head off to the beach with family and friends, if that's all it is. Right? Today, we're looking at Jesus' first miraculous sign. That's what we're told. It was his first miraculous sign. And it shows us something really important, doesn't it, about who he is? And what he's on about, it shows us he's not boring. So I'm glad we got rid of that picture. It shows us that Jesus is all about radical newness and joy. That's what it shows us. And what that means, of course, is that when we look at followers of Jesus, one of the things we should see is some evidence of that radical newness and joy. When people look at our lives, one of the things they should see is some of that radical newness and joy. It should be there. And, and, and I guess in such a way that then they are drawn to want to explore the source of, that, of what they're seeing in our lives. Uh, that, that's my hope for today. That as we go out from here this morning, that we've got a fresh awareness and a desire to live out some of this. The, some of this... Uh, so that we can live the kind of Christianity that Jesus would recognise, if that makes sense. Okay, so uh, where are we up to? I had a listen to John's sermon. Awesome, he covered a lot of ground uh, in that first chapter, and there's a lot in that first chapter. And uh, you guys are blessed uh, to get this kind of food. Um, but I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. So, you know, what have we seen? He, he really focused in on this idea that in chapter 1, John is painting this picture, Jesus is the Word become flesh. And we thought around that. We reflected around that. God with skin on, right? Uh, the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. So this is where John starts. And if we read on through chapter 1, we get John the Baptist in there. Who, who, everything about his ministry pointed toward, you know, towards Jesus. That's what John was on about. And then there's an account of Jesus beginning to, to call his followers. And uh, at the end of chapter 1, there's Philip and Nathaniel. He's been busy doing all these things. Now, here we are, the beginning of chapter 1, a couple of days later, and Jesus is back home. He's back home, or close to it. Actually, it tells us Cana... Galilee was Nathaniel's hometown. We read that in chapter 21, verse 2. 
So he's, back, he's close to home, Nathaniel's hometown. And they get there just in time for a wedding. Awesome. So his, mo- his, his mother's there. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they've been invited to this celebration. Presumably then it, must, you know, it was for a relative or a, f- a family friend or something. Um, but there's this sense, I think, you know, it's a couple of days later after all this act activity finally maybe Jesus has this opportunity to kind of kick back for a little bit and relax enjoy the celebration and uh, just have some time like that and one of the sources I read said these celebrations they they'd last about a week (laughs) oh fantastic okay but then but then disaster Disaster, verses 1 to 3. Look at it again. Um, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. There it is. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. They have no more wine. Now, that might not seem too serious. Some, to some of you it might. Um, but look, it, it was an important responsibility of the bridegroom in this cultural context, you know. And he can't just zip on down to the local bottle shop or whatever, right? He might even, I, I, according to what I was reading, he might even have been exposing himself to a lawsuit from unhappy relatives of the, of the bride, because this was part of his responsibility. It was a major cause for shame, right? Very, in this culture, very embarrassing, a big deal. Now, then you've got Jesus' mother there, right? Now, remember, this is Mary. We know who Mary is, don't we? From the earliest stories about Jesus' birth. I don't know, maybe she had some responsibility for the catering or, or something some involvement there, whatever it is, she says to Jesus, they have no more wine. Now, maybe you can relate to what this would have been like for Jesus. Um, I think I can. As I think about it, I, the image that comes to my mind is I just imagine, you know, what it's like um, when I get home if I've been busy, out and about doing things, and I get home, I finally get home, and uh, I'm tired, I give my beautiful wife a hug, I make her a cup of tea, <laughs> I massage her shoulders. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, maybe I make a cup of for myself or something, and then with a great sigh of relief, I flop down into the couch. Uh, just then, Erica calls out something like, oh, I haven't had a chance to get dinner ready yet. Now, part of me wants to say, oh, well, you'll get to it eventually. <laughs> but, of course, it's not really a statement, is it? That's not a statement. That's actually a question. That's a request, isn't it? Yeah. A cry for help from a drowning woman. Yeah. Um, what she's saying is, Steve, would you mind uh, you know, getting dinner started? Fair? Yeah. 
you hear what I'm saying here? It seems, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know for sure, but as I reflect on this, it seems to be that Mary is actually saying, Jesus, my son, can you please do something about this wine problem? Right? It's not just a statement. So there's all sorts of debate, if you read up on this, about what Mary was actually uh, asking for or expecting, you know, when, when she, she, she said this to Jesus. Uh, probably, though, not a miracle. Am I saying that right? Miracle? Miracle. Uh, they make fun of me. They say I say it wrong. Um, probably not a miracle. Miracle. Remember in verse 11, it says that this was Jesus' first miraculous sign. Yeah? So, um, and then and think about it, right? Mary was Jesus' mum. Right? His mum. So, she had raised him. She had changed his nappies, right? She had ta- taught him how to walk and talk. Uh, she'd uh, set, packed his lunch and set him off for his first day at school. She'd taken him to soccer training on Wednesday nights. You know, she'd helped him enrol in TAFE so he could get his carpentry sorted, whatever, right? She was his mum. We're using a bit of creative license there, but you get the idea. Uh, add to that, Jesus was Mary's firstborn. And, and Joseph doesn't get a mention here. Maybe he's, maybe he's died or something. He seems to be absent. And if that's the case, Jesus probably had had to pick up significant responsibility in terms of supporting for and providing for the family. Anyway, all of this goes, I think, to remind us how very human Jesus was. This is a very ordinary kind of scenario here um, you know there he is with his mum he's at a wedding they're faced with this ordinary if serious problem right I think this gives us a very real picture of that bit, part of that big inconceivable idea that John was talking about last week from chapter 1 that this is actually God with us God with with us that just the humanity of Jesus here he is okay but we keep going and things start to change don't they there's a shift in verses four to five look at them woman why do you involve me Jesus replied my hour has not yet come so his mom just said they've got no more wine Jesus replies woman why do you involve me my hour has not yet come And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Interesting couple of verses there, aren't they? What's going on? Uh, I mean, I think Jesus' response here is a little bit strange at first kind of glance. Um, Why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, But, you know, these kinds of interesting responses from Jesus aren't unusual in John's gospel, are they? Often he has, he, 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 he um, describes Jesus' responses that point to a deeper meaning. Right? Think about it, the very next chapter has Jesus talking to Nicodemus, remember? Where he talks about being born again. And in the next chapter, he's talking, in chapter 4, he's talking to the woman at the well, where he's talking about water and the life and so on that it brings. So John does this, and it's, it's kind of happening here. 
as well. This deeper meaning is there in Jesus' response. You know, it, it, it seems like Jesus is, 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 is hesitant to get involved. But, and the reason he gives is, my hour has not yet come. Now, my hour, this is language in John's Gospel that looks ahead to Jesus revealing his glory as he's going to in the cross and the resurrection. My hour has not yet come. It's not time yet. But see, no one here knows about all that yet. They haven't kind of worked that out. They don't have that information. What's it like for Mary as she gets this response from her son? I imagine she was probably a bit surprised, maybe a bit confused. Now, she's, she's always known, of course, hasn't she, that there's something very special about her son, right? In Luke chapter 1, an angel told her, after all, right, that your son, and she knows, you know, she, he came before she was married, right? She knows all that. Uh, but this angel, this is, this is God's own son. She, she had heard this, the one who would reign over God's kingdom, right? And then there was all that stuff with the shepherds and the wise men and Simeon in the temple. Like all of that had happened. So Mary had seen and heard and experienced all these things. But since those days, there'd been all, all this other stuff, years of normal things. This was his first miraculous sign, remember? So there'd, there'd just been these growing years. Uh, plenty of time for life to go on as usual. But here it is. We seem to be in a moment here where things are beginning just to change in terms of um, Jesus and, 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 and how he's going to be showing himself. And, th- and there seems to be a shift right here. We're watching it in real time in how Mary relates to Jesus. Right. So at, at the beginning here, she's basically asking him to do something right but now it's almost like well it seems like she's acknowledging his authority do whatever he tells you in a gentle beginning kind of way do whatever he tells you Uh, i don't think it's difficult to see this as you know the gentle beginnings at least of an expression of faith Uh, she doesn't know what he's going to do but she commits the matter to him and, and, and trusts him with it. Right? Which is good old Mary. We've seen that before, haven't we? She's so good at trusting God and what God's doing. Um, now, I've got adult children. We've got, we've got adult children now, don't we? Two of them. Yeah. Lovely. Um, anyone else with adult children knows what it's like? We've had to learn to let them go. Hmm. Yeah. It isn't always easy, is it? Uh, my guess is it was the same for Mary as Jesus grew up. But, you know, it's like she needed to go even further, didn't she? Not just let him go in terms of becoming an independent adult, but actually learning to submit to her son uh, as she begins to acknowledge who he is. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. This is... This is a big deal. And, uh, you know, I think her example of faith and trust, as we see it here and in other places, should inspire us. Should inspire us. Okay, so if the first part of the story, what did we say about that? Here he is at the wedding. His mum asked him to fix a problem, you know. 
it reminds us of Jesus' humanity, that he was God with us, fully human. I, I think this part begins to remind us that he was God with us, his, that he was God with us. Right? And I, I, it's just interesting to reflect the intriguing mixture that we're given some kind of insight to here of the ordinary with the extraordinary kind of coming together here in Jesus. You've got John's testimony about who Jesus is. You've got him calling disciples and they follow him, right? All this big stuff. But then there he is. Is it a wedding celebration? Is mum asking him to help out? But then you've got, even in that, Jesus beginning to reveal his authority. And, and that, of course, his authority is about to become way more obvious, isn't it, in what comes next. So we go on, we've got this miracle, uh, verses 6 to 11. Let's read it again. It's so good. Uh, so uh, imagine being there. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. It's about 100 litres, I think. Um, Jesus said to the servants... Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the, the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine. But you, uh, when, after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. So what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Hmm. So here it is. Think about it. Jesus, we know Jesus did a lot of miracles, didn't he? A lot of miracles. Miracles. Okay. But this one does stand apart. I don't, can't think of another one like it. You know, he's not giving wholeness to someone by healing them of sickness. He's not giving freedom to someone by casting out a demon. He's not even helping them to be safe by calming wind and waves. What's he doing? He's ensuring no one gets embarrassed and that the celebration and joy of this party can continue by turning litres and litres of water into beautiful wine. That's what he's doing. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Uh, certainly, it's an amazing witness, all of this, to his authority. Right? And his mother recognises it, we see. Do whatever he tells you. He gives those strange instructions about filling these things with water or whatever, and, and people just do it. I guess Mary told them to. So, And then he actually turns water into wine have you ever done that i can't do that not like this anyway in verse 11 it says what about this what's it say about this in verse 11 look at it it says that when he did this it was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory he revealed his glory in in doing this such that his disciples put their faith in him now Remember John chapter 1, verse 14? We looked at it last week. Here it is. The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. 
we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When it says we have seen his glory, what comes to your mind? I'm not sure what you think of here, but what we're learning here is that when Jesus made it possible for a party to continue by turning water into wine, he was showing us the glory of God. Interesting. Uh, what do you think about that? How's that fit with your image of boring, uptight, restrictive Christianity? Kind of doesn't fit, does it? And, of course, it's loaded with symbolism. It's not just a symbolic act, but it's full of symbolism, isn't it? Uh, we are specifically told that the jars that we use were jars that were used for what? Jewish kind of purification, right? So probably hand and washing and utensils and all the rest. They stood for the law, which was important for Jews. Right? It was how they showed their faithfulness and loyalty to their God by following these laws. But Jesus has them filled to the brim with water before changing the water into those jars, not just any old water, into really good quality wine. Wine being, in the Bible, a symbol of joy. And uh, you might look up, and I've put this in the notes, but Psalm 104, 15, Isaiah 55, verse 1, and Judges 9, 13, they're just some examples I've found where wine is a symbol of joy in the Bible. All of this to say that Jewish law and custom, which as important as it was, have been fulfilled and now replaced by something way better. Uh, chapter 1, verse 17. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And uh, in context here, this is only the first of a number of stories Chapters 2 to 4 that show that Jesus came to make things new. All, right? All things new. He teaches, he goes in there and clears out the temple, but that, in the midst of that, he's te teaching about a new temple. And with Nicodemus, he's teaching about a new birth. And with, uh, with the woman at the well, he teaches about new water and new worship. He makes everything new. This is part of that. Jesus' ministry is what John wants us to hear. If we go away from John's gospel without hearing this, we've missed the point. Jesus is all about grace and newness and joy. Grace and newness and joy. So in the middle of this big celebration of family and friends, just when things might turn ugly, Jesus miraculously produces probably hundreds and hundreds of litres of really good quality wine. And when he did that, he revealed his glory. We see his glory in that. I love, I don't know how you feel, I love that this was his first, mirac his first miraculous sign that revealed his glory and led to his disciples putting their faith in him, it says in verse 11. It must be a very uncomfortable passage for some people. You know, we can't put Jesus in a box, can we? That's what it tells us. He can't, he's not just a religious symbol. 
We can't kind of domesticate him, no matter how hard we try. He isn't a party pooper, no matter what kind of impression we might sometimes give those around us. Right? He doesn't take the joy out of life. He fills it with far greater joy, a bigger joy. And it's not a spiritualized in the sense of being kind of watered down or vague or, or intangible sort of joy that Jesus now brings. It is a real down-to-earth, like the kind of joy you'd experience at a wedding celebration with way too much wine. Right? Jesus is there, and he, the Son of God, he is there at this party, mixing it up with all kinds of people, including people, I'm sure, who would have drunk way too much. Now, I'm not saying Jesus drunk way too much. Don't hear me say that. But he was there, and yet he is God. And he is revealing his glory. Now, don't get me wrong. Especially as the years go by, I am aware of the dangers of alcohol. I just need to say this. Uh, It's dangerous. It it can be dangerous. Uh, But that isn't the point here. That's not what this passage is about. This story, this miracle is about Jesus... And the character of his ministry and the message couldn't be more clear. Jesus brings newness and celebration and joy and fullness of life. Abundant joy. That's what Jesus is about. So, getting back to our question. Is this what people see when they look at our lives as followers of Jesus? Is your life new? Uh, Or is it is really just the same old life with a few um, you know, extra, maybe boring bits tacked onto it. Um, I'm not saying it is, but let's ask these questions. As, you know, as we come face to face with the one who actually offers us a fresh start, brand new start, washed clean, he offers us newness and joy in the biggest and fullest sense. Are we going to truly put our faith in him like the disciples did here? Right? Are we going to get on board with the one who is anything but boring? Right? Are we going to, you know, following Jesus is a wild adventure. It's not boring. Are you ready to take the risk? It's not comfortable always, right? Are you ready to let go of those worldly fears and the securities, the things we build around us to try and stay safe? Are we going to let go of some of those and, and give him authority in our lives? We're going to jump into that adventure because this is the way to life as it is meant to be. Uh, So let's go out from here today, shall we? With a fresh awareness and a desire to live into this and to show those around us what Jesus has for them. Can I pray? Okay, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that this story is there in our Bibles. Some of us might want to cut it out, but it's there. And uh, so, Lord, help us to receive with thankful hearts the wonder of your Son, Jesus. And uh, uh, let us be people who show others uh, something of what it means to know him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.